Hello everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games, and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Burbridge, and with me as always is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We're back. We are back indeed, and I see you grinning over there. We're here to make a podcast. <laughs> we are making some podcasts. Uh, yeah, it hit me yesterday. I'm like, you know what? It is. It should be make instead of makes. And uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna press ahead. I, you know, hearing you say it, I had to smile because we've been talking about it, which is, mm -hmm. and it made it a hilarious moment. But uh, it didn't actually sound as awkward as I would have thought. Yeah. So well, that's you know, correct. there we go. Yes. <laughs> and then that is being technically correct is of course the most important kind. Of course. Of course. Uh, well, yeah, man. Uh, episode 25, and cheers to that as uh, have a little... Cheers to that, yeah. I'm drinking the Wisdom Check here today, so I got a tabletop game-themed beer, but um, man, 25 episodes later, and uh, I, I guess we've hit a little bit of a, um episode-listened milestone as well. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, the half-century mark of uh, episodes listened. Uh, Wait, no, a little bit more than that. Half-century would only be 50, right? Oh, right. What's a millennium? I think so. Yeah, half a millennium, Mark. There we go. You know, people in, in the future uh, will, uh, you know, the archaeologists, uh, they'll, they'll be finding this pod. Compacted into the digital crust of the burned husk of uh, Terra, as we'll call it then. As, as it may well be once again known as it was before. Right. And... Um, you know, it will be incompatible with their future uh, uh, water because everything's water-based. Um, I don't know. I know you've seen some Metalocalypse. It's one of my favorite bits where like the, the purest, cleanest form is to record directly onto water. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Here we are and here we shall go unless you have any more uh, preamble. I think I've got much more front matter for today, um, even <laughs> though I, I feel like especially uh, sans blazeball words and I string them <laughs> together into sentences. And that's how you make a podcast, folks. <laughs> that's how the sausage is created and uh, create. We shall with our first feature of the show. It's time for game ranks. Let's rank it up. Let's rank it up, Moses. Tell me what you got. All right, uh, we are at uh, our 24th rank, and I'm sliding this one in just at the 23rd slot. Uh, I, you know, I, as tempting as it is to, to put it higher up the list, it may actually wind up, it probably will wind up dropping down a little bit lower. Um, but it's a game that you and I have played a great deal of together. Hmm. Jackbox, party pack number three. Ooh, yeah. third Jackbox. And let me actually just... <laughs> double check myself on the internet here um, to make sure that this is in fact the pack that I am thinking of. I'm almost positive it is um, because yeah. Yep. That is in fact the, the one I'm, I'm thinking of. It's not that it is necessarily, it's kind of like, it's a place to start if I'm going to put uh, a set of Jackbox games. And I don't know about you from my perspective for, for these ranks, it, doesn't really feel natural to like break out individual Jackbox games. I, right. I can see a rationale for doing it, but from my personal experience with it, which I know aligns a lot with yours, it's like, 
hey, let's play some Jackbox games and we're going to play anywhere from two to more mm -hmm. um, in, in a session as we're having, you know, having a house party, having a fun club, having a whatnot. Um, and so I, I kind of arrived at three as being um, kind of hitting the sweet spot um, of uh, both all around, um, but then also of, uh, it's funny, even though I've talked about one of these, I, I've kind of kind of smack talked one of the games in, in this pack previously, um, <laughs> but, but doing a good all around at hitting like most of the, most of the games in pack three are really good. And then also like, I felt like it was a qualitative improvement in a lot of ways from pack two. Yeah. Uh, and hence we got a lot of play out of it in various circles that were, that were jackboxing. Yeah. Um, um, and that just anchors lots of good memories. For sure. Absolutely. Like as you, yeah, as you speak of it, uh, the, the good vibes flood back. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, qualitative improvements. Is there one or two that, that come to mind? Um, so unless I'm mistaken, the first quiplash was in two. Or was the first Quiplash in one? All I'm trying to get at is that Quiplash 2 is a significantly improved game from my memories and experiences of it over the original. Like, it's it, uh, is it five where they have Quiplash 3? I think and so, it, yeah. Like, it's good, but it's like they tried to make it a little bit weird, and it's still mm -hmm. totally enjoyable. But 2 is just like, okay, we've taken the original, and we've just streamlined it a little bit. We've made it better. We've made the prompts a little bit more like... Um, just more consistently solid prompts mm -hmm. where like i you, you know and until you start getting repeats the first time that you get a quiplash to prompt you're like this is pure gold can i come up with something to match it yeah and of course can i read this room based off of like does this group want callbacks or even if we've done callbacks with this group before is this a night for it or i'm going to just get downvoted to hell if i remotely bring up something that's <laughs> that's been used previously I find that the group, at least the, the group that we shared, uh, always wants callbacks unless it's me. And then they don't. But <laughs> well, we don't. got two different groups because there's like one and then a separate group that you and yeah, I that's true. That's done true. some jackboxing with. But but ironically, I would I would definitely agree with that with <laughs> regard to to our, our more more recent jackboxing. Um, where some of the some of the other crew I, it's so weird because it'll be just like, okay, this was just killer last round and everybody's just now suddenly over it. Yep. <laughs> like, nope, nobody wants to hear any more about whatever that was again. But, um, but yeah, I think that a, a big part of what gives Party Pack 3, it's really like it's enduring quality. Uh, surprisingly enough, uh, since it's not necessarily in inherently as enduring, is uh, Trivia Murder Party. Um, combined with Quiplash, that um, that those two those two games together made for a, a whole lot of really good play. As annoying as the Trivia Murder host is, mm -hmm. it, it's like a fun conceit, and it's got like a nice uh, like the nice competitive edge without being uh, too aggressive. You know, you can have less competitive people playing it and still still enjoy themselves, and, mm -hmm. and the room still flows and, and works pretty well. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, solid offering. And um, just for uh, for for those who may be listening, um, this game uh, has uh, Trivia, Murder Party, Quiplash 2, Gespionage, TKO, and Fakin' It. Uh, Fakin' It being a, a stone-cold classic in my 
but faking it is a great game that we just we didn't play enough but i think that's because not everybody that game is not for everybody it needs the right no. room yeah it's it's there's an intensity to it you're looking into each other's eyes uh a lot of the times you're you know uh, it's it's a lying social you know bullshitting it, kind it's of a, it's a social lying game yeah absolutely um but when it's clicking, man, it is it is it is a classic. And that's one that we really couldn't play during the demi uh, because you kind of need to be in the same room. Yeah. So uh, it was extra sweet, you know, getting getting back to that one. And like also, yeah, another reason why that was a, a great game that, um, you know, I didn't highlight it with those other two for the reason just mentioned. Right. That like there are definitely nights where it's like, uh, yeah, we don't have enough people who are going to want to do this because it is socially riskier. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the 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 fake prompts that they would throw people like or that it does is it's a big part of the value of that game is like how silly the main thing is. And then how like what a good mismatch or something totally off the the fake prompt is. Yeah. Yeah. A mismatch, but still in, in, in the ballpark to where you might be able to squeak it by if you are convincing enough. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't have anything else on the list so far that uh, is like Jackbox. And in part, that's probably because uh, most other games that are more like Jackbox are not not video games. Yeah. You know, a lot, lot more of the uh, kind of social and trivia and like, you know, multiplayer and a group type of stuff. I mean, there's no doubt it, I, it sources from you don't know Jack and what's you don't know Jack patterned after like that TV game show, right? Mm-hmm. Like essentially. Um, and so its source is very not video game. I, you know, you, you could argue about whether Jeopardy is a video game because it has all those video screens hmm. and there's a button buzzer. Does that mean it transitioned from a board game to a video game when they upgraded it to where, cause for a while it was just a dude behind the thing, pulling the little blue cards out of the way. Good point. Did it make the jump? I, one could argue that in some weird mass media context of analysis, Jeopardy is in fact, you know, a game that transitioned to being a video game. Yeah. But uh, pew pew pew, the Daily Double. <laughs> All right. Questions for another for another pod, which we will have to start. But the question for this pod is, uh, what's the next game on your list, Paul? Next game on my list is coming in at number twenty-two. Uh, way back in 1999 on the PlayStation, it's Harvest Moon Back to Nature. Okay. Oh, man. This is a nice uh, follow-on from last week. Yeah. It kind of put it back into the forefront of my mind, and it's, it was another... We're in this weird middle period now where there are 15... Because when we first started, it's obvious. It's going to be Chrono Trigger. It's going to be Zelda. It's the, you know, but now, so many deserving games uh make it make it much harder but i i had to come back to harvest moon back to nature um as far as my memory goes it was the first time i'd ever played a game like it where you are managing this persistent uh uh kind of situation with with your farm i mean i suppose i'd played sim city and things like that but this is a much more like of a of a microcosm of of space there um so needless to say the addiction was was massive for yeah uh, especially for uh, for John and myself, we were at like the perfect age for it, and um, our mom got tired of like the footstep noise, it's like <laughs> when you're running around, and like that's just an example of how 
incessantly we we played it julie um, if you're listening to this episode uh you know i'll be looking for confirmation on this next time we catch up <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then um abra you know mentioned naming the the livestock i always enjoyed coming up with names you know for my my chickens and cows um, yes and then getting to play it with john you know we both took pretty divergent paths in terms of the type of farms we ran the the lady that we were going after um so it was equally entertaining not equally but it was quite entertaining you know watching him and his his fortunes as well um one of the the sort of end game upgrades you could buy was a greenhouse so that you could uh harvest summer crops all year long which was massive you get a bunch of corn uh, yeah. in there and it was huge inside it was like one of those harry potter tents you know um but what we didn't know is that there's a chance for a typhoon to come oh, each no. fall and the oh, typhoon can destroy your entire greenhouse and everything inside it tragic uh, tragic but uh you know, a good way, a good balance, right? It's risky. How much effort do you want to put into this greenhouse if it might be gone in two years or something? Um, Absolutely. And then just, you know, I think you'd have to stay in your house the whole day. So you basically, you know, you could watch a little TV, pet your dog, and then just go back to bed and then survey the damage the next day. <laughs> um, and speaking of TV, there was uh, a TV. You could get the weather report. You could watch a cooking channel. And eventually, nice. I believe when you upgraded your house, you would get like cable TV uh, and you'd have more channels. And that was, you know, a, a delightful little thing. Um, so, yeah, very satisfying. Uh, the series kind of has gone downhill, in, in my opinion. Uh, I don't really pay attention to it any, anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a time and place thing, but also one of those magical things where they there were the developers really hit it out of the park on, on the first the first uh, go round. Well, you know, as we've touched on previously, some games as we're getting deeper into the ranks really do even more so anchor to like that time and place factor. Yeah, It's what might result in a little bit of a shakeup on some items in my list uh, in the not too distant future. But um, but yeah, I can uh, I can definitely see that. And, and like, that's OK. You yeah. know, like some some experiences really can't be, uh, you know, duplicated. Um, mm -hmm whether what, whatever the medium is or, or type of experience, whether I, even if it's like a sport where certain eras of a sport or a sport um, are, are going to be defined by how the game is played and how, how the rules are, are structured and those will change. And, you know, something that was in a classic game, you go back and like watch that, that video of it. And it's like, Oh man, that, really it was pretty primitive at this point <laughs> you know like there's a, what, what you appreciate out of it looking back is what it was at the time right and and what it did for you at the time as well but especially like it's like a more of a historical view and, and i get the sense in this case it's a little bit down the middle like you can't recreate the experience exactly now mm -hmm. um but there are enduring qualities of game design and play that are things that you do want to return to for sure for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, especially after last week, um, wanting to fire up uh, Stardew again yeah. at, at yeah. a certain at a certain point. My gaming plate is is full enough right now to where I, I don't dare open that door again just yet. But yeah, um, at some point, uh, the last thing I want to mention about uh, Back to Nature was so the game had cutscenes. They were in engine cutscenes and 
you would enter a new part of the map somewhere in town or what have you, and the game would kind of pause, and then your character would like slowly trudge forward and hmm. start talking and like, you know, instead of running like we would always do. So what John and I would do is we would try and fake our brother out that it was a cutscene. So we would load into the next little section, pause, and then manually walk the dude over and then try and keep the pantomime going, you know, as long as possible to uh, pretend like there was a fake cutscene going on. So uh, <laughs> mildly emergent gameplay, perhaps. You know, there's no doubt that the overlap between emergent gameplay and trolling is like <laughs> in that Venn diagram, there's a pretty big area of overlap. It's, mm. a, you know, not as big as the the broader areas of each, but mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, the next uh, horizon then is emergent trolling, where <laughs> the game gives the troller, uh, I don't know, additional tools, procedure generated trolling tools as the experience goes on. I'm... I almost think it's more like you want a sloppy approach to game development where you're intentionally leaving things that you don't know how they might be abused, mm. but you can pretty much guarantee somebody will find a way to abuse them. Yeah. Just don't think about it too much. Right. And see what emerges. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, cool. Well, uh, what is going to emerge next is our next feature. What I love about... have a love about this week yeah i do i've kind of touched on something similar to this previously and uh you know shockingly enough it is once again apex legends and respawn that are going to push me to to talk on this uh, particular topic mm -hmm. um but i do love it when game companies make commitments to something that's a fundamentally pro-social act even when it is fundamentally symbolic um you know, as I'm Reddit scrolling, uh, and it had kind of skipped my mind that Respawn was going to release a new badge this week. Um, and I'm like scrolling past people complaining about the hot topic for Apex right now is that the, the devs said that they are going to eliminate tap strafing, which really is only a PC thing and doesn't affect me at all. Um, and it really is only for super, super high level play. And then somebody complaining about legend balance and the usual fucking nonsense that you find on a game subreddit. Um, when I see somebody having posted an Apex screenshot with their arm in front of it, and what is it? It is the new badge. The non, uh, a non, non, like it's, it, they have badges that are basically just social that are not um, tied to any game achievement. You just need to log in to get it. Mm -hmm. And it is a semicolon. And the arm of the person uh, holding holding their arm up has that has the semicolon tattoo. The semicolon is the suicide uh, prevention awareness. Oh, okay. Symbol, um, and I'm just I'm thankful that it is an aspect like an un for all of the shitty stuff that can happen inside of games culture, um, in video game space, like nobody's going to be protesting and demanding the developers to change this. It's not like the shit show that happened with Kaepernick with football, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, somebody's trying to make, I, like there is a Black Lives Matter badge in Apex too, right? Um, this is the, the, and there's a, a pride badge, a Black Lives Matter badge, and, and now the suicide awareness badge. And like, it is a foundational good of games culture as a landscape that people might be shitty off in their own private corners but when there's a, a desire or a will from a dev to do something that's fundamentally, uh, you know, a positive statement, um, it's it's part of the culture. 
And, uh, and I really appreciate that about uh, games as a medium. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's unique to games as a medium, um, but that unique that games that when games do it, they manage this in unique ways. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, it's my little soapbox for what I love about this week. It's an important topic. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously any of you out there who've struggled with depression, we're not going to, um, insert the suicide prevention hotline number in the middle of this podcast, but, uh, you know, there are resources out there for you. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, that, and I almost don't, you know, I don't want to like detract from the, the purity of, of that sentiment. And I, I probably won't in doing this, but, uh, it does make me curious. We, we haven't touched it in, in a while, uh, your current apex, uh, yearnings, like how, is it uh, as steady as ever? Or? I still play too much. No, no. It's um, since I hit that breaking point, uh, like I'm regularly, even if it's only Dark Souls 3, I'm regularly inserting more than one game into my diet. And a lot yeah. of the time it is only Dark Souls 3 is the other thing that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on a, on a given day, it'll probably be like a two to one ratio of like, I play an hour of Apex and half an hour of, of Dark Souls. I mean, yeah. the amount of time will vary based off of the day and the ratio and whatever else might get in the mix. Um, but I truly am, uh, like I'm never going to be truly good at Apex, uh, but I truly am at a p- point where like, hey, I have good games, I have bad games. Um, I may or may not ever get my, my kill death ratio uh, in uh, battle royale, up to one. I doubt it. <laughs> what are you? What are you <laughs> like, looking at these days? Oh God! I mean, in battle royale, it's something like 0.2, uh, but in arenas, it's like 0.6 or 0.7. And okay. so, freaking help me, it would be one or better. Except that you just get random matches where you only have like one other player, or maybe you're solo against three, or the players who you're with are like, the most hot garbage, or disconnects. Mm-hmm. that's always great is when you're having like your your two two rounds up and it takes three to win <laughs> and then one of your player dcs and it's actually been a very balanced match the other guys are pretty good too but you have that slight edge <laughs> like no and you're like you know that okay maybe they actually like something came up in their life and they fake dc'd uh but equally sure. possible their ispc isp just you know shot the bed <laughs> like you have no idea what happened, but whatever it is, you were like that close to having a good solid win. And then you just get rolled. Um, And and a big part of it's psychological, like the two, a two V three, you can potentially carry, but yeah, no, that's where I'm at with apex. It, uh, it does have an intentionally like compulsion engine style design. It's, it's problematic as ever um, in that respect. And um, I'll probably talk about that more uh, in in a little bit more depth at some, some later date, we'll find an excuse to kind of talk about, um, whether you want to call it dark design models or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, addiction gaming problems, uh, a whole array of stuff. That's something I'm sure we can go into at a, at a little bit more depth. But uh, but yeah, uh, quick quick summary of where where my apex compulsion is at is sig- significantly lower than it had been two months ago, and yeah. uh, in a much more balanced state. So I appreciate that. Nice. That makes me shudder, and also, I mean, I would. I would be way too into it and I would love it, which loving is a good thing. That's why we're here. That's certainly why we're in the segment right now. But I'm thinking, so when you were talking about addiction, like my mind went to TikTok because uh, I'm crushingly addicted to it in in a way that I didn't 
think was possible. Uh, oh, see, that's kind of funny. Media. One of the reasons I refuse to install TikTok is because whenever I see TikTok videos that I do like, I'm like, oh, that's a deep rabbit hole. It is. The, the, the other thing is that there's a whole bunch of stuff I see that's like, that's like young millennial humor that I fundamentally don't understand. But I the am thing old. is, you tell TikTok that you're not interested in that, and then they f- they find exactly what you're going to like. So it'll be like, here's a little video on polyrhythms, and here's a video on this guy doing a weird science thing, and here's a hot girl, and here. So it's like, it. Oh my god. So, but anyway, not to get into that. But my thought was. Uh, it, video games are addictive, but but they're not they're not as immediately compulsively ever present as TikTok is for me. Where the moment my brain has one second of peace and silence, I'm like, oh, I could reach into my pocket. But but what would the video game equivalent of that be? And I'm picturing something like War, uh, WarioWare. I'm not sure how much you've played. I've played some WarioWare. Those, but what if it was a WarioWare style game where instead of having to beat the game to get to the next game, you can literally just scroll, play half of a game until it bores you, scroll again. Oh my God, that would be devastating. That's pretty, that's pretty evil. I was going to say there, there is, as far as the mass populace, there was, uh, you know, for a hot minute there, a game that I think does uh, kind of meet uh, that description and I've never played it, which is odd because I like match three games, but Candy Crush. Oh, yeah. It had the benefit of of being that it's in your pocket and like designed 100% towards compulsion loops, way more so than the average mobile game. Yeah. So, you know, um, that that proof of concept has been somewhat borne out. uh, But I think what you're proposing would actually be a lot more fun, um, which is actually more dangerous. uh, Although it would also probably require some kind of a free labor pool to be constantly developing new little games, right? But people Um, love doing that. I know this is the problem is like, seriously, anybody who's listening to this, just keep this one under wraps for all of our sake. This is not make my game. You are not allowed to take this idea and do a jam. This Uh, is a a divergence uh, from in the, in the middle of our love about, and uh, we just, uh, just took a little bit of a detour. I mean, you know, no, no guess today. No, no, no particular feature. I am, I'm enjoying it. So, uh, but that said, what do you love about games, Paul? Plenty. And I, uh, one last thing I wanted to say on that, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe we could have Joanna on because I, she's the only person I know who, well, at least that I'm aware of, did play Candy Crush. And she is not one, like, she's savvy enough to avoid the true pitfalls of, of that space. I think I would love to have Joanna back. And, yeah. um, and if she's, uh, she's diving into that space a little bit, I mean, it's like, I'm savvy enough to avoid this with Apex, but I'm still somewhat hooked, right? Right. And I think that's kind of the point is like, it's the same thing for people who have, have a casino addiction. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very, very smart people. I have met people who absolutely love gambling and who basically say like, no, the only way I keep myself from, from it being a, a problem addiction is that I just almost never let myself go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, and it's like people who are otherwise brilliant and you know, that's the catch. That's the catch. Neurochemicals are powerful. It's a hell of a drug. As much as I love games, like, man, if, yeah, that's a door I, uh, I will never open in, in earnest. I might, I mean, personally, I'm glad I don't particularly like gambling. I don't particularly like casinos. I've explored it a little bit. Um, so it just doesn't actually have appeal to me and that's a damn good thing. Otherwise I would be broke. So (laughs) 
Nice. Well, speaking of broke, uh, hearts break and hearts love things. And what I love about um, <laughs> what I love about the Half Life series uh, is how decisively, uh, tangibly memorable it has been for me. Um, hmm. You know, games, uh, memories of games easily transport you back, but. Uh, the the intensity and the breadth of of the memories and sort of the novelty of them um, with the Half Life series is something I, I wanted to uh, discuss. Um, like I can vividly remember each each time I saw like say the original Half Life. Uh, I have this old friend who uh, you know lost touch with, but uh, I'm sure it's a friendship that that would pick back up quite easily. Uh, named George, and uh, he had a family out in Maine. Uh, and we went to visit once and he had a rich friend. And I remember like his friend had like cable TV in his room. It was like, whoa, you know, yeah. um, and he had a souped up PC and he had a game called Half-Life, which I'm not even sure if I had heard of before, but, uh, I think his name was Zach and having Zach show us Half-Life, I was blown the fuck away as well. You should be the first time you see Half-Life, um, like fighting the Marines and they have this devilish AI. There's actually a, a great video that I should send you about the, the, how the AI functions and still makes it fair, like in, in Half-Life in those sequences. But Ooh, um, I'm definitely interested. Yeah, I specifically remember there's one sequence where you're in this narrow tunnel. It's about, you know, the size of, of you that you can fit through. And uh, one of the Marines throws like a satchel grenade into the other end of it and detonates it. And this explosion rushes at you and you have to get out of the way. And I'd never seen anything like that before uh, in terms of like, and it wasn't a cut scene. It wasn't, you know, it was scripted enough, I suppose, but like, it felt just like another, another beat. Like it's uh, technically a small know. set piece, but at that point in time, those were not part of the game design language the way they are now. Right. Right. Like little set pieces are very much a part of the game design language and have been for a while, but that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next time I, I got to play it, um, I think I'd mentioned uh, at some point that my oldest brother, Luke, was living in my grandfather's basement for a bit. And he had gotten a new computer and, you know, I'm like, oh, man, you got to check out Half-Life. And he picked it up. And it's only in the last few years that I have forgotten the smell down mm. there. And when you hear like grandpa's basement smell, you don't assume a good smell. But it, but it was. It was like you know, hot electronics and some sort of cologne and like a beer can and whatever. But like, if you were in a place with that exact smell, you would immediately pin it. Or even if it was actually like 60% approximate, it would, the whole of it would come rushing back to you. Smell hits so deep. For sure. That's epic. And I can remember like his computer desk and the darkness down there and it was cool and dark and, you know, we could play it loud. And Luke went through, you know, and I was watching him. I'd never seen the beginning of the game. He went through the beginning of the game where you're on the tram and you're going in and you're getting all your like, welcome to Black Mesa, all this. And he just watched the whole thing unfold. When it was my turn to play, you know, a couple hours later, I'm like, oh, you can fucking look around. You're you're in control of your dude. Like he assumed it was just a cutscene, But oh. by random chance, you know, I wiggled the mouse or something. And I'm like, oh, my God, you can look around and you can see little Easter eggs and, you know, all parts of this sort of diorama that you're, that you're going through, um, you know, so that, that felt pretty cool. 
Um, and just the, the sound design in the original Half-Life, like the, the, the crackling of the, the handgun, just, you know, yeah, so powerful. And I've always loved the uh, AI little voice inside your suit as well. Nice. And just, it's like darkly funny, but horrifying. Like uh, when it's like lacerations detected morphine administered like, <laughs> oh god and then the, the worst one was emergency user death imminent imminent yeah like, that's fucking scary like the machine <laughs> strapped to my body knows i'm gonna die like yeah fuck it's very that's so funny it's like um it's kind of like the opposite of hal it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have intel- intelligence but it knows everything about you <laughs> right, right but it has no no kind of unique intelligence of its own but it's, it's like it's not creepy like that it's unsettling in a totally different way and i mean i guess the scary part is that we're now at the level of tech where like we could have real tech that's unsettling that way mm-hmm. i mean no I, doubt i'm willing to get bet that darpa has developed this right um and then uh moving on to, to half-life 2 it was George, uh, once again, was he was visiting Wisconsin this time. And oh, nice. it just, just happened to be the night that Half-Life 2 was launching. Uh, and I don't you know if you remember how awful Steam was when it first came out. It took forever. I don't think I... God, when did Steam come out, roughly? I don't think I was using Steam quite yet. Okay. Not uh, too long after that. Yeah. Um, but uh, because, you know, I got more heavily into PC gaming right around the orange box release, which obviously plays a direct temporal anchor in relation to this conversation. So, yeah. yeah. So steam was better by then for sure. Yeah. But like it was unlocking the game files and authorizing. And it took, it took, I think about two hours from when the game was available to when I could actually play it. And it was just agonizing. Cause like, it's kind of like a Warcraft expansion on a release day. <laughs> yeah. Only difference being that the game actually worked by the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he, he it wasn't a sleepover situation. He had to go eventually. And uh, so we're just waiting and like, oh, and I was getting mad. And he was like, and I remember it, this was my first Madison apartment. Another little detail there, like on over on Johnson Street, I was 19. Okay. Know, had my first uh, big old Alienware PC. Um Man, that was that was fun. That Alienware, uh, and but he was like, "It'll, it's okay, Paul. Like, it'll, you know, it'll, we'll get there." And then it, I mean, the, the opening of Half Life Two is obviously an incredible. The game is a masterpiece. Um, it is, and getting to experience that with with George again was was very special. And I remember a certain point, I was like, I played for a while. I'm like, "Okay, man, here you want to play?" And he's like, "No, you keep going." Like he let me. That's awesome. Have have the the moments, the continued moments of of play. Um, and uh, I gotta say, it makes me want to replay Half Life too. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And like, and I'm, I'm I feel like when I do, I'm gonna be like, why the fuck is this not on my list yet? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it probably should be above some of the things on this list. Mm-hmm. I don't know, hard to say. Um, but I do think it'll hold up pretty well. Uh, you know. Um, and then the other thing directly adjacent to that is that there's this whole um black mesa yeah project which i think did it get released recently it's like the complete remaster remake of of the original i believe it did and it's like if i understand correctly it's very um committed uh to 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 not 
not tampering with the experience and just yeah. like upgrading it to truly be, uh, you know, viable for, for contemporary platforms. So yeah, that might be a must for me too, actually, because I, I have a feeling that going back and playing the original Half-Life could be enjoyable, but very, very clunky experience um, in the sense of the graphics being just like pretty polygonal. Yeah, my sense of it is that they they did it so well, they did the remaster so well that it would have to be almost pure nostalgia to go back just because you wanted to see the original textures and stuff. Like, yeah, from what I understand, I don't think you are compromising anything by playing uh, the, the remaster at this point. Yeah, I'm going to, I have, that's actually, shoot, I'm just, I've got, I've got this list here <laughs> in my, in my podcast doc. So uh... from there, um, I don't have any, any other much else to say, like the, it gets a little hazier with the episodes, you yeah. know, as the years go by, not as quite as locked in to my brain, but. Uh, Although, I mean, surely that one moment in episode three. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Where you get the portal gun. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Who saw that coming? Well, speaking of <laughs> my God, what a segue. Speaking of portal guns and the word fuck. Um, <laughs> Is it time for tell me about? Uh, uh, yeah, it's time for Tell Me About. And uh, Moses, I've got to tell me about for you this week with a brief uh, preface okay. uh, about you and I, um, which is that we are both feminists. Uh, we are both uh, nonviolent. Um, you are a married individual, and uh, I will be soon. So presumably... Uh, there is only one person whom you and I fuck. Uh, however, <laughs> oh, and, and however. we. Oh my God. Okay, go on. <laughs> we, we have no uh, desire or, dare I say, capacity to, to kill anyone. Um, however, <laughs> I am going to ask you tell me about the answer to this okay. question, Moses. Yeah. Marry, fuck, kill. Your three great choices card. are. Great, great setup, yes. <laughs> Are uh, Jade from Beyond Good and Evil. Okay. Tali Vos Normandy from Mass Effect 2. And Alex Vance from Half-Life 2. Oh, God damn it. I have to kill one of them? I'm afraid so. I mean, I think I've let Tali die accidentally, but I'm sure I went right back and like restarted or something. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that it was like in um, Mass Effect 3, I think I actually pursued that relationship where they finally let you have let let you run the tally relationship oh that's just brutal yeah that's just brutal it's yeah. really not it's not fair because they're all such sympathetic characters that's yeah if i gave you an easy one you you know what i mean that's uh yeah oh god <laughs> this is oh. so juvenile i love it <laughs> it is completely completely juvenile and I'm going to have to return this favor at some point with a different set of characters that are similarly going to be like problematic, but for like a totally different reason. Right. I can already kind of see where that might go. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so again, coming back to Tally, I think part of the problem here is like her people are not exactly, you don't want to just kill one of them off. Is there like a, there's a scarcity to them. Are they not I a could have prolific sworn, race? Are there, are there, aren't they like a diaspora people? Yeah, it's been it's been a while. They are. 
because they have their, their flotilla and like yeah they have no home planet uh, and they get yeah. super something happens that kind of decimates them in mass effect 3 i could have sworn but for some reason my mind is totally hazy on that plot, plot well point i think the right geth now. the geth fucked them up early in the trilogy yeah that might be there is there is a crucial decision regarding them in mass effect 3 and i super can't remember what it is and it wouldn't be in the interest of this game within a podcast about games to look it up um but like i feel like i'm i'm you can see me circling around this i'm like yeah uh, unless i'm gonna make a pretty big cheat here um we're going to have to assume that um we're gonna have to assume some things here (laughs) (laughs) all right i think of of these three women um who are all you know seem to be heteronormatively oh no Tali's definitely bi but um because i was playing playing uh, a female shepherd so that's that answers that part of that question um it was totally not a question or related to this at all <laughs> this is so hard i just can't feature killing alex or jade yeah yeah that's really what this comes down to um which leaves Tally, which is terrible because she's a fantastic character and one of my favorites in Mass Effect. Um, but granted, there's a lot of... Like, it would have been easier for me to kill Liara. I know everybody loves Liara, but you know what? I would have been like, no, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. She's complicated and she's kind of messed up. And um, if I have to kill one of these people, um, it might as well be her. Um, although it'd be kind of shitty to kill an empath. But uh, anyway... Um, <laughs> But that leaves that that let's let's do that. We'll take kill out of the equation. Um, I think the thing with Jade is that she's also at the end of the game, kind of a somewhat all powerful deity. Mm. Um, and unless we're running into uh, some kind of uh, uh, um, uh, mechanic in this scenario that that manages age, this is already super super dodgy for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> she's very young for me. Um, so I guess that's going to have to go to fuck. I couldn't see. Uh, she's an artist, too. She's a photographer. And, of course, my wife is a photographer. So there's okay. a parallel there. But maybe all the more reason not to incur any additional. I, this whole question, if Angelica ever listens to this podcast, Basel Envy will. I don't know if you know this about Latinas, but like um, <laughs> it's a stereotype that has some, some degree of, of legs to it. Um, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, everyone can get jealous about their partner potentially, and some people are much less so than others. And <laughs> leaving that aside, and that leaves us with Alex Vance. Um, okay. Who honestly, um, it is a little bit of a, a tough call. Jade is a really compassionate, very sweet, and kind human being with an artistic sense. Um, Alex has a great sense of humor. Yeah. And she is a really deep, real character kind of one of the most filled i mean this is also somewhat true of tally minus the sense of humor which is a good reason to not put her in the mary category but i think i arrive at at mary alex fuck jade and kill tally beautiful that was incredibly hard for a completely juvenile ridiculous task (laughs) that's you know that's all i ask payback's gonna be sweet yep (laughs) but for today paul for today if you would tell me um has game have you ever cried uh in in gameplay yes if not if not then the moment that is close enough to it approximated the first time in a in a game a a moment in a game that made you cry or made you feel like crying 
if you tell yeah. me about that. Um, there are a few potentials in, in my head, but but uh, when you I'm giving you the, the chronology anchor to make it easy, right? Just, the chronology yeah. anchor actually uh, makes it makes it. Uh, there's only one uh, choice, which is Final Fantasy Nine. Um, you know, where you, you might expect that that ten would be the tearjerker because it is much more of a tragic love story. Uh, Final Fantasy Nine actually. Uh, they do a little fake out and then it's all uh, all happy in the ending. And that actually is what 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 triggered it. But um, ah. so it's been it's been a long time since I played it, but you you beat the final boss and Zidane, the main character uh, and the sort of love interest of uh, the princess, um, Princess Dagger or Fiona, as I named her, um, and uh, yeah, presumably is is dead, and a bit of time passes, and you're sort of watching the, the epilogue uh, with these cutscenes and stuff. And there's this beautiful song called "Memories of Life," which uh, uh, you know has always been been very special to me. And it's uh, melancholic, kind of a slow moving song. And then all of a sudden, there's this swell of like string stringed instruments. And it's in that moment when Zidane tosses off his cloak and is like, yo, I'm still alive. And they rush into each other's arms and embrace. And like, uh, I don't, I don't believe I was like sobbing. I'm not sure even if a tear rolled down the old cheek, but it was, I was verklempt. It was a, yeah. it was in my, in my throat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Such a, such a beautiful moment. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to. So is the tears is the tears of happiness type vibe of like you know, it wasn't the loss, it wasn't yeah. the tragic part, it was like the reunion moment. Yeah, that's pretty epic. Yeah, and um, I feel like there's one that that's on the tip of my brain that I'm I'm just missing. I mean, definitely your your question is is answered, but I'm I'm also curious. Like you're trying to dig now because you're like, oh, I feel like there's something here. Yeah, um, that's cool. Because yes, media will you know, I don't mind it putting me in that state. I don't, I don't fight it. I don't feel ashamed about it. You know, I think it's, it's a good thing. It can lead to real world catharsis, uh, Absolutely. you know, um, and it, it just means that you've experienced a powerful story, you know, and definitely that's well, that's and depending on your personal state at the time, it might be easier or harder to, to elicit that kind of emo emotional response. But, but that's not even really the point from my perspective. Uh, for a long time, there was this like, oh, when games can make you cry, then they'll truly be art. And I'm like, we've been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. we, we were already there when people were still like pushing that question real hard. It's like, well, I don't know how much of a compassionate human being are you and willing to be touched by the stories? Yeah. Like that, that's really what it comes down to. So this wasn't kind of a like, personal challenge to the game ever make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like, you know. Yeah, we've had these moments. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to actually name the specific ones for myself, um, but it's interesting to think about it and be like, oh yeah, this, this was a, you know, an instance, an instance that really like was really moving. And why was it moving? And mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be moving just because of it being tragic. I'm really glad that your response is like not that. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, and you've you've beaten Shadow of the Colossus, right? I've not beaten Shadow okay. of the Colossus. Okay. Um, if you recall, I got probably around, I think it's around two thirds of the way through the game. Um, I don't remember if it was the centipede boss. 
Hmm. Um, is that the one that's like it's in a coliseum? Um, and it's kind of small on the smaller side. The Colossus it, itself. The Colossus itself is maybe on the smaller side, but there's this like large structure. Yeah, I yeah. think that was the one that I hollowed out on. Um, okay. I I want to pick that game back up in the remaster because uh, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to since I haven't beaten it and I don't no longer own a PS2. Um, I'm not too worried about spoilers. Uh, I have a vague sense of where it goes already anyway. Um, and, uh, and um, yeah, no, I fought with the camera in that game so fucking much. Okay. I wonder if the remaster would, would solve any of that. I, would, I, I, I hope it might, because what I remember about my problem with the camera in that game was it wanting to swing back to a position that I didn't want it to be in. Yeah. And that was like the most frustrating thing about that game because I had such smooth buttery controls otherwise, right. but you needed to see where you were trying to jump and the camera kind of jerking around a little bit. And then you jump off the edge of a Colossus when you were like trying to like jump forward and up and grab a thing or whatever, like, oh, no, no, that's definitely, you know, the much easier question to answer. What games have made you so angry you wanted to hurl a controller? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I suppose if this were the only thing I'd come up with, I would plunge ahead and, and mention it, but if there's a slight chance you might there's uh, a non-trivial pl- chance that i'll pick that game up and actually finish it at some point i feel like especially um my depth of just general gaming skills like i picked up shadow of the colossus some like maybe two years into my my graduate studies mm-hmm. um i've played a lot more hours of many more console games since then mm-hmm. so i feel like my chances of having a more successful run at it are actually significantly higher um and more efficient for that matter, though. I'm sure there's still some just brutally challenging stuff that some of which I've probably beaten and don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Nice, man. Well, um, yeah, nice sadly. Part of the Colossus is, has, that, has that potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Good stuff. Um, yeah, no uh, uh, Blaseball news. They did a thing on Twitch yesterday inside a Blaseball, which is like the developers chatting about um you know the sport and where it's at um i'm so disappointed that it's not actually just like wasn't an extensive stream of just like somebody cut a baseball in half and just the camera's just (laughs) on the inside that would have been great um and uh yeah i was i was i was looking at the the um discord to try and see any big updates i assume i would have heard uh yeah yeah um and there was was i was just on the tacos discord yesterday Uh, like just i was like on discord for another reason i was like oh Got a lot of stuff to clear out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did actually read that announcement from the devs that was basically about the expansion era because mm-hmm. um, it had been copy pasted over there um, and kind of like what they were seeking to do with it and yeah. the lessons they're seeking to draw from that into, you know, what is essentially full release, right? Right, right. Um, so yeah, no nuggets of info uh, this week, but I mean, with each passing week, we are one week closer to the return of baseball ah yes but if we have traversed half of the distance to the return to baseball well then theoretically we can traverse half the distance after that and but if we proceed in this manner we'll never actually arrive at baseball return right all right thanks by increment uh that's wrong that's probably the wrong greek it's okay you know it's all greek Zeno, no Zeno, Zeno's paradox not heraclitus side yeah oh that reminds me i had a correction to issue oh sure from um make my game last week uh which is kind of where we're headed anyway uh i was trying to remember the name of a sextant 
Oh, that's right. Navigation tool that I was reaching for. And um, yeah, I missed and I said a um, uh, uh, astrolabe, which the astrolabe actually preceded the sextant. The okay. sextant is the one that the, we classically think of like holding it up to the stars and it looks kind of like a compass. And those are two of the sexiest named tools. Astrolabe, you know. Yeah, no, I'm like with you actually. You almost don't need to complete the sentence, but go for it. Well, <laughs> I wasn't gonna, but now I have to. Like it sounds like Astro Glide, but Labe also sounds like lube. And then I don't know if you realize this. Or labia. About, or labia. Uh I don't know if you noticed this about the word sextant, but uh first three letters, my man. S-E-X, X Y, they might be giants. <laughs> But that said, um, you know, that was last week's game. And I mean, it would have been a very different game if we decided to make it sexy. It would have been. Uh, but, you know, there's always tonight. And that's right, folks. It's time for Make My Game. And coming this week from Oblivion Interactive. Wait a second here. Not to be confused with Oblivion. These guys would get sued right out of existence, which is how you know it doesn't really exist. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, coming this week from that very studio is Extinction and Rush. Ooh, okay, good. I was a little concerned by our game studio name, but Extinction and Rush is mm. definitely something that we can work with. Yeah, we seem to be hitting sort of the, the, the prehistoric uh, uh, concepts uh, every so often here. This does seem like it could be another working title. Um, it, it might be viable as an end of game title, but it, it immediately kind of starts to inspire some mechanics that might be a little bit too on the nose to be the name of the actual game. Um, you've played Small World, right? The tabletop yeah. game? Yeah, yeah. It's the one where, you know, you choose your, um, you know, your starter fantasy race and it combines with, uh, with a trait. Yeah. But they do eventually go extinct and you turn the tiles over and then you get to choose another one. Um, and the extinction part of that immediately, not necessarily in the sense, or maybe in the sense of the uh, kind of you move through different uh, beings that you're managing it, but the, the extinction part of it definitely, for whatever reasons, brought, brought Small World to mind in terms of the idea of like, there's you know, interaction with a map. Um, but eventually the pieces that you're, that you're playing are, are going to go into a different phase um, mm -hmm. as they are declining and then eventually extinct. Mm -hmm. So are you, are you picturing a, a, a strategic kind of map looking at? Experience? Well, not necessarily. That's really just the high level concept and forming by yeah. way of inspiration from that board game. So what the exact shape of the game could be, I don't know. But just that that kind of mechanic, the idea of that you are playing something that will fade and die mm -hmm. during playtime. It's not the, yeah. you know, extinction is not the end state of your game. It's something that happens as part of the process of play. Okay. And so actually maybe specifically more important than the map part of the, of the small world inspiration is the idea that like you then move on in a single game to be playing something else. Yeah. After the other thing has gone extinct. The challenging thing here is extinction in in that sense happens over a long period of time which is directly at odds with the rush aspect this is true 
Uh, Do you have thoughts around that? Well, my my initial. So I mean, if we further abstracted the concepts out, almost into like a card game kind of dynamic. Sure. Hence, because I guess it must just be Uno Rush that puts me in like ah. uh, the the card game framework. Um, but uh, you can have digital card games. Obviously, there's nothing uh, nothing that says we can't sure make a digital card game. Um, but getting in getting into the the nuts and bolts of a card game is more difficult than just broadly explaining how a game might might play. Uh, oh. Definitely. Although getting into some of the nuts and bolts of video games is also problematic. But I think uh, the difference is that the mechanics of a card game often rely on really getting into the gritty bits. Right. Um, right. Whereas like the mechanics of a platformer, you can speak in much, much broader terms. And the gritty bits are hours of development. But, uh, you know, how you envision it working is pretty easy to express in words. So I, I hear you on that. Maybe... Maybe you are working to the, the benefit of like grim efficiency, like in, in as few turns as possible, how can you exploit this creature with their genetic lineage to get this one trait that you value, exploit that trait to make your broader moves within the game itself, and then they go extinct. Like maybe you are rushing this thing to extinction by... Uh, cruelly engineering it for for your own ends. That's an angle. That's definitely an angle. Um, we're going to just ignore the end for a second here, and it's it's kind of extinction rush. Um, and yeah. the idea being that you have you have goals that are set out for you. They're like more like ecosystem goals or something. Mm -hmm. And so you're just trying to whichever the the species is that you are managing, um, you're trying to coax it towards doing the thing that it needs to do for you before it will go extinct. Um, and that part of its inevitable extinction is because of the fact that you are coaxing it into a line where its survivability like goes down. It does not have a breadth of adaptation to survive because you are, you are breeding it down to do the specific thing you need to to the environment. God, this is grim. <laughs> and maybe like, maybe you need to thread the needle between, so I'm picturing like, okay, we have a, an invasive species of a, of a rodent that came to this land, like in real life, let's say. So they unleashed a bunch of cats to deal with it, but then the cats aren't native. So they explode and now they're a nuisance. So what if you have to, uh, by engineering them this way, they become potentially ultra viable to where they might spread across your entire globe. And so you also have to ensure that they do go extinct before they gain uh, a foothold. There is a real version of this which I think involved snakes. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was like, didn't actually happen that way with cats. We brought both rodents and cats with us. Um, we being, you know, European stock people, not uh, certainly not my ancestors in particular. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay. I'm liking this. I'm uh, it also actually, here's a, a slightly different tweak on it though, or maybe it's the same thing, but it's late game. Um, it was an idea I was kind of brewing a little bit before before you you kind of uh, drew it in this direction of the like selection towards um, towards function is like species awareness of their own extinction, and there's a 
a rush to preserve what the next species will need to succeed. So I think it actually works with all of this, except that it's got a slight tweak, uh, which it's still dark, but a little bit less dark, which is the beings that you are managing um, are aware of their short viability, unlike say humans. Um, and, and as such, there's like a side of it that is a, a willingness to help put things in place uh, towards uh, the advancement, the success of life on the planet. Hmm. So this, this broad swath of, of creatures, like they, they have enough awareness to, to be on board with that. Like maybe it, maybe it's completely artificial mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, as each species gets to its, towards its extinction point, uh, as, as game mechanic dictated, you get a, a benefit. You have this huge drawback, which is you've got a rapidly collapsing po- uh, population. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whatever you're trying to do, you have less to work with. Um, but the benefit is that it's a more willing population to try and help pass on the message in a bottle to whoever comes up next. Um, knowing that it'll be a while before they'll they'll get there, so you can potentially give your next species a little bit of a leg up in the work that it has to do. Yeah. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, and that's one of those great game stories where you're like, "Oh my god!" On you know turn five of the previous species, I came up with this great thing, and the next species, based off of the RNG of this game, they never developed the technology to be able to decipher it, so it was always just and, you know, and, it, and I wound up with like. A, shit game end state so promising right Right. um but these are the kinds of stories that that develop out of gameplay that are you know the the most meaningful narratives of games really the ones that we create through our experiences with them yeah maybe uh maybe it's like interplanetary competition to where all the beings on this planet are united in purpose of becoming the most genetically viable or adaptable you know whatever the case is against another planet and that's why they're all on board with like sure exploit my genes and let's just go with conceit that you're like the alien god that when they're developed enough you can step in and let them know what's up and Mm -hmm. why why the game is rigged and why it sucks um but in general they will maybe it's a roll of the dice on that part as to whether they're willing to help in the rush yeah yeah maybe there's a, a threshold because there could be advantages and disadvantages uh to do with consciousness um, and going back to my sort of earlier idea, like you set this population of say this sort of space cat on this planet, because you want this one trait that they're going to have three generations down the line. But if you make them too powerful or give them too many advantages, then they will completely wreck house and, you know, or maybe they'll even start their own civilization that you then have to contend with. Sure. Well, I mean, it, maybe it gets into that that late game or late Civ mechanic um, where it's like you're if you're trying to run them that way, you get into the roll of the dice on the like choose to reveal yourself move mm-hmm. where when you do, are they going to accept you and accept their inevitable demise? Yeah. Um, or are they going to like fight that? And then like, what are the stakes? The stakes are probably like intergalactic life or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really liking this idea of taking it to kind of a planetary scale. And you're like, um, you're intervening with, uh, with a vision that we're just going to assume for the sake of the game. We're not necessarily going to complexify this too much and say like, oh, maybe you're wrong. No, let's just go with there are in fact like big intergalactic threats and like what you're doing is necessary work. 
Yeah. Um, however, it's like the the Emperor in Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> Hiding out on a secret planet nobody knows about because he somehow survived. Wait, no, not no, I meant, no, I, meant, I meant Star Wars, not Star Wars. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, many, many sort of loose fragments here that uh, could certainly be woven into a, a beautiful tapestry. It's not our most coherent make my game, but I do think that um, this is one of those those concepts that without like really starting to get into it and do some design documentation to weed out what would and would not work, mm -hmm. um, that there's a, a little bit of an upper limit. Oftentimes with make my game, we run into the upper limit of like, well, for this to work, it'll be level design from here on out. Right. Now we've still got big conceptual hurdles, but I don't think they're easily solvable in uh, in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. You make these little species who are, yeah, just viable and just smart enough to to fulfill your ends, or maybe you make them smart enough so that they will willingly uh, contribute more. You know, um, I I could see it, and this is very well right, overly ambitious, like early game. You don't even have the option to make species that are going to be smart enough where you could even play the reveal tactic mm -hmm. like early game you're just trying to make them effective enough to advance things that you want to happen before their extinction yeah. and then like when you get into mid and late game and especially late game it becomes actually essential to get into a almost like how are you going to manage the emerging religion of these beings so or whatever belief systems yeah. Um, so that when you have to try and confront them, um, that, that you have a better chance of that working and like, probably they're going to go extinct either way. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, but if they, uh, run the clock too long, you, you're, it's screwing up your end game of like the next species that you you'll need to cultivate and run in order to make everything go. Mm -hmm. Um, because it'll take like humans, you wind up with like potential function. Functional, functional uh, planetary reset where it's going to take a long time before you're going to have another species to work with. Yeah. That's kind of like how I feel we're headed right now. Like if we, if we arrive at the worst case scenarios, like, yeah, there could be intelligent life on earth again, but it might take a while compared to like a different, more, uh, you know, giving species that might recognize its role in the cosmic order is not to triumph and conquer everything, but simply to do its part. Right. And and mine bitcoins. And mine some bitcoins. Oh, wait, no, that's yeah. actually completely counter. Why the hell are you guys wasting energy on this nonsense? <laughs> you're recording podcasts. At least that way you're creating something of value. I mean, this podcast is, is carbon neutral. I purchase offsets every time we do an episode. So, you know, we are just ignore the billowing smokestack on top of my house. <laughs> I was going to say something totally stupid. Like I poop a carbon offset for every episode that we record, but I'm like, I, that doesn't even make any sense. I'm, I'm glad you didn't say it for sure. I know it's a good <laughs> thing that that never actually like left my lips. And it's just like a notion could have happened. Just a notion. Well, I uh, have a notion for our uh, next little stop on this podcast, which is the goodbyes. Cause we are once again at the end of another episode and what a fun episode it was, Moses. Thanks. As 25 always, episodes for being here. later. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I only can hope that before this podcast goes extinct, that it becomes a viable and, and useful component in whatever grand design is out there. 
Exactly. Very much so. And I mean, uh, otherwise, I'm simply comfortable in saying there will be more guests. There will be more features, some features that we have not tried before, some features we have not even thought of yet. Indeed. But one um, that we have planned, and I'm excited, and that's all I'm going to say. Yes. I even have some some names in mind. Okay. Uh, we will, maybe we can discuss post-pod. Uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, put out the call once again um, to anyone listening, uh, feel free to uh, email us, as I always say. Um, you know, it's hard to say, you know, we have apparently a listener or two in Germany, Japan, and Canada. And even if you don't have anything, you know, uh, super interesting to say, uh, you could say hi. Because uh, I'm, I'm curious, is it a VPN? Is this person really in Miyazaki, Japan? Like the name of our favorite game creator. I mean, but who would do that? But also, how would any of this happen? Just, Further evidence uh, for living in a simulation. But that said, I'm totally with you, Paul. Hey, y'all, if, uh, you know, just drop us a line. Say hi. We're happy to hear from you. For sure. It would, it would, be, uh, it would be a pleasure, definitely. Uh, and now on to my spiel, which is uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, please, and I do mean please, or if you just want to say hi, maybe I'll have that in, just want to say hi, uh, email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, until then never, never stop. stop. Playing!